Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Well, tomorrow is Friday. That means the Reardon Roundtable will take you into the weekend. Former Senator Lamping is on the panel. Former Senator Smith, State Rep Donna Berenger, all in the 3 o'clock hour tomorrow. Paul Hall with entertainment. Kusumano here on his regular Friday visit and a bunch of other stuff as well. I want to hit before Sue's news here, which is coming up, and then we have Ilya Shapiro to explain the Supreme Court hearing over the fishing regulations, which has obviously broader implications than just um, commercial fishermen. But it's interesting because we played the cut yesterday from the movie Coda from Apple TV Plus from a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and it was essentially the scene that we played from the movie with the fishermen that was the uh, you know the center of the court case yesterday. All right, a couple of things here. Let me start with um, my triumphant return to the game of Parcheesi last night. I did not realize that you and Parcheesi had parted ways. Well, I may have not played since I was 12 years old or something like that, but we played in Columbia a couple weeks ago with our uh, friend Robin, and my daughter played. And I'm like, you know what? I used to play Parcheesi when I, I was I forgot younger. all about it. I, I know. have never played. You've never played? What is well, it like? It's, it's like a, a board it's game. It's an Indian board game. Yeah. Oh, why is it an it's Indian based on a cross section or something like oh, that? Oh, you're yeah. probably right. So you got all these little. It's a dice game. So you got your. Okay. Is it die or dice? You got your dice. two. If I say two, it's dice, right? Correct. Okay. So you got your two dice. You got your little thing. You shake it up. You roll it. You got. You're in a bit of a. Uh, you're you're captured in this little diamond shaped thing, and then you got to get out, and then you can move your places. But here's the thing: if you land on somebody else, except for in some protected spots. Then you um, can you kick them? them back to where they go, oh. and then you got twenty things, you got twenty moves that you can make. You like that kicking so, people back? <laughs> well, to here's where the they deal. Came from. Like I was being viciously attacked by my eight-year-old daughter and yeah. wife last night, and I was trying to come up with you know a strategy because I hadn't played the game in a long time. So I sent a picture of Alexa and my wife playing to my friend Robin last night, and she got a kick out of it. And here's what I said in the text: I said. I mean, they were playing for second place, of course. I put on a master class. <laughs> After not playing that game for 40 years, the skill, the execution, oh, it really was. You guys are going to have to take my word. It was a beautiful thing to watch, and I wish you were there because it, I just I smoked him. I came back. Once I figured out what I had to do, I took some risks, and it was. I, I think it was on ESPN in their top 10 greatest <laughs> plays be. this morning. I, yeah, I, I like the fact that you have beaten an eight-year-old and are uh, <laughs> proud of it and uh, flying that flag. I, I feel good about it. All right, topic number two, uh, the Australian Open. Sue, did you hear about this? No, wait, oh, are you talking about Djokovic gosh. or uh, something else? No, something else, a couple things here. And uh, if you're following, if you record, then don't, you know, maybe skip yeah. 45 seconds here. 
tiebreaker for <gasps> the ages with uh, Blinkova and Rabinenka. It was 42 points, a third set tiebreaker, 30 minutes, 42 points, the Dang. most in women's Grand Slam history, That's the awesome. longest in Australian history. And then to follow that up, Medvedev won his match with um, a crazy comeback. Three six six seven six four seven six six oh four hours twenty three wow. minutes. Holy so cow. and he beat a fifty third ranked um, guy. So that's it, it ended at three thirty in the morning. Oh, that is nuts. Friday. How much fun though? I know, right? So that's uh, a couple of things I wanted to toss in about that. This is random, but it's going to play into my next bit of entertainment news. I saw. <laughs> so I think I took a picture of this. Um, Super 70 Sports. You follow Super I 70 Sports. I love Super 70 right? Sports. It's not for the kids. I'm just telling you that what right is it? now. It, it, uh, this guy goes back to the 70s and pulls the most foul language, but some of the funniest stuff you'll see, like yeah. old sports clips. and I mean, it's hilarious. It, it's one of the best sites on Twitter. It's just at Super 70s Sports. And, yeah, there, there's if you're risk-averse to uh, profanity, which I am not and quite a fan of it, then you probably don't want to follow this site. And he tweets out a lot. here. The one that I um, – <laughs> he puts something together. Now I can't even find the damn tweet, but it was funny because it was a clip of the movie Stripes. Remember the movie <laughs> Stripes? Yep, yep. With yep. Bill Murray. Now, I just love this clip. I just thought it was funny. They're talking about rescuing someone. We got to go get him. Yeah. No. Yeah. We're responsible. Russell. Come on, it's Czechoslovakia. We zip in. We pick them up. We zip right out again. We're not going to Moscow. It's Czechoslovakia. It's like going into Wisconsin. Well, I got this <laughs> kicked out of me in Wisconsin once. Forget it. That's the uh, late Harold Ramis. I don't know. I just was oh, struck by that because yes, I thought yes. that was so funny. And then la- you might remember a week ago. It was a week ago today. This show is on Tuesday nights on FX, but then I stream it on Hulu because I'm a cord cutter. That's what I call yeah. myself these days. Fargo, which is in season five. John Hamm was in this season. And, um, man, I thought it was so good. And last week I declared that episode. I'm going to stand by this. I put it up with the best of the best of any television that would be considered the greatest television. The Sopranos, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, etc. And I said at the time that the penultimate episode probably wasn't going to match up with the finale. And boy, was that a prediction that held true because, good Lord, I I don't know what it is about producers and directors and they're trying to squeeze one more episode. All they had to do was... Last week, maybe add 15 minutes to last week's. And it would have been. And close it with whatever happened in the first 15 minutes of this week because it was long. It was boring. They stayed on shots way too long. It was almost the opposite of the execution of the week before. And it's just, it's a letdown because it was such a great season. So my recommendation for people out there, watch through the eight episodes, skip that last episode because it just, it didn't work for me last uh, night. Sorry about that. It happens. But, you know, think about it. The great shows oh, yeah. have trouble closing, they right? Do. Hello, Stranger Things. It's eternal. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But we both agreed that the it's end of that on way yeah, too long. might have. All right. So anyway, that was uh, my little Fargo I- rant I'll there. show you. Super. Sa- I got a good one pulled up, Okay, Fred. That's why I keep looking at you. You would like this. You'd like Super <laughs> 70s because I, oops, that's the Fargo theme still going there. Let's do a different theme for right now. <laughs> These allegations are deeply right. concerning. Does the president have any comment? We're not going to comment. It's not clear messaging. <laughs> and now, Sue's News. Sponsored by Mr. Appliance. Speedy expert service. MrAppliance.com. On this day in history, 81 years ago. Now, I think this this has come up before, but... Uh, I just, uh, it's an interesting story to me that in 1943, 
The U.S. government declared a wartime ban on the sale of pre-sliced bread. And the, the purpose of it was to conserve resources during World War II. And they were worried about the amount of additional waxed paper used to wrap the individual slices. And from today on, only whole loaves were sold until the end of World War II. Isn't that incredible? Anyway, that was that 81 is, I, I, years I ago. I never knew that they even had that. slices. Yeah, you had wrapped. to have, yep. Hmm. And I, I guess it, it seems to me that if they gave you a whole loaf, then you would put it in wax paper if you did that. But I guess people, when they had it pre-sliced, would then put it in, give it to Junior for a sandwich. I don't hmm. know, but that's what they did to preserve. Now, we've got uh, a little bit of music here, Mark, because... The new class of inductees into the Songwriters Hall of Fame has been announced, and R.E.M. is one of them. Is this this is different than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yes, right? so this, is, this songwriters is Songwriters Hall of Fame. R.E.M., Steely Dan, Timbaland, Dean Pitchford, and Hillary Lindsay are on the list. Now this is R.E.M. R.E.M. and Steely Dan, you may know. Timbaland is a producer writer that was involved in things. Like um, Missy Elliott's Get Your Freak On. Fred, I know that's a favorite, <laughs> isn't it? I think so. And uh, Timbaland also did this song with uh, Justin Timberlake. Again, he was a producer-writer. And this one uh, you hear still at the ball game. am I right? Oh, yeah. Love it. I believe this is the walk-up music for Fred when he's inducted into the St. Louis oh Media Hall of Fame Fred, in a couple of weeks. Do, who do we need to talk to about that? No one. I'll, I'll, t- I'll take care of it. <laughs> you know, on the R.E.M. front, first of all, that is a wonderful song with great lyrics. Oh, yeah. Yes, it um, is. And I love it so much, and I was listening to it this week, actually. And Michael Stipe, you know, R.E.M., that's a band that has stuck to its We're Not Getting Back Together yes. Again, We Broke Up. Michael Stipe, however, has a solo record coming out. Oh, that's it. Some collaborations that, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but some interesting collaborations as I remember it being described to me. So look for that this spring. Oh, I'm seriously making a phone call about this at Fred. <laughs> I wonder, I mean, do they have walk up no. music? Because that's no. too great to We can no, make they, it. They specifically said no walk up music. Uh-huh. If you don't want sexy back, but you still want Timberland, there's some Duran Duran songs that he did. Oh, well, that, oh. see? Look you at that. Let, let's not forget Abby's mother, the world's biggest Duran Duran <laughs> fan. Uh, the Pitchford, by the way, co-wrote Fame and uh, co-wrote with Kenny Loggins, Footloose. Hillary Lindsay co-wrote Jesus Take the Wheel for Carrie Underwood. Ah, but these I was wondering who she was. Yeah, yeah that's I did, know, did not recognize her name. Well, we've got a, a little bit of snow in the forecast again. I mean, not a lot. There's a 40% chance tonight. But I thought we could cover a few of the oddest winter sports you may or may not have heard of. I saw this in a story on Outdoors.com. Okay. In Japan, for instance, they play something I can't pronounce, but it's called Yukagasen. It's essentially a pro snowball fight. <laughs> Seven players on a team. You wear helmets. You wear face shields. They play on a court. It's similar to capture the flag. And if you're hit by a snowball, you are out. But the fact that they wear helmets and face th- I mean, this is serious, and they throw these things really hard. It started in the mid-'80s, and there are tournaments in Norway, Finland, and Alaska. So I love this. They, right? Love it. Wow. 
Can they, you bet on it, though? That's uh, what I want to know. <laughs> Not in Missouri. No. no. Right, exactly. Everywhere else you can, but they can't get it done here. Oh, jeez. In Switzerland, they play snow polo on horses. I mean, the whole bit. This began in 1985. They have an annual snow polo World Cup in uh, Switzerland every year. The horses have cleated shoes, so they have some traction. So, uh, okay. And number, I bet you the horses are excited uh, about that. Well, I mean, I guess I don't know. I can't figure out whether they like it or not. Maybe they're happy to be outside. This is what I tell myself, Fred. <laughs> now, there's some debate about where this one began. Okay, but according to this article, they think it was in New Mexico in the 70s at a ski resort. This sport is shovel racing, where you sit on the scoop part of a Fred. shovel. This is Fred. With your, the handle between your legs, and you use that as like what you hold on to. Oh, sure. And you go down the it's, hill. It sounds safer than skiing to uh, me. No, yeah. Actually, uh, they say it's dangerous enough that it was banned from the Winter X Games in 1997 because somebody got hurt going really fast. That. It's really bumpy, well, and you're holding on to this, and you can whack yourself in the head. But here's what I'm thinking. If you're going down because the, the handle of the shovel is actually in front of you, right? Right. You're okay. holding on to that. And if it hits something, and, yeah, that would hurt. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I can see yeah. that. Okay. Fred, you could I'm, try I'm, it anyway. I'm you're off. Yeah. I'm backing <laughs> off. out. Yeah. Well, you don't want a big bruise for your inauguration <laughs> and walking down with sexy back by That's JT. Right. <laughs> uh, snowboarder, that, of course, led me to another snow. Story. Hello, microphone. Okay, this is just our nice story for the day. A dad in Iowa used all the cold weather they've had to say goodbye to the snowman, and he and his two sons made a giant snow shark. Now, this is where I should show that to you, but I forgot to print it out. So if you Google Iowa snow shark, you can't believe what these people have done. It's pretty impressive. It's about the same size as a real great white shark. They've spray-painted it so it looks legit. I mean, teeth, Fred. Teeth. People have been driving from all over the area to come and look at it. Again, Iowa Snow Shark. I'm on YouTube right now. Look at that. Can you believe that? I mean, the the teeth in the eyes are really cool. What did they use for the teeth, do you know? I don't know. I didn't say. And then it's just like a regular shark. The inside of the mouth is all red. red Yeah. yeah. It's impressive. It It is impressive. And it's huge. Huge. I don't think we'll get enough snow for that. I mean, Fred just has to sweep an uh, area for Luna. There's no <laughs> yeah. if you will, here no, in that's St. True. Louis. Sue's News is brought to you by Mr. Appliance Speedy Expert Service. We love them. If you need some repair, go to MrAppliance.com. And finally, in Sue's News, we have today's random fact, which actually has music. Well, I was wondering about that because there was one song that was unused, left unused here today. All right, so is it Nazareth? This is the most popular song in the history of Norway. Seriously? Yep. Wow. Is there a reason for that? Yes. Is that uh, Nazareth? Yeah. It's Nazareth. It was the number one song in Norway for 61 straight weeks. In 1976 and 1977. Maybe they don't get enough light there. It was winter. They're depressed. I don't know. It never got higher than number eight in the U.S. But Love Hurts by Nazareth, number one in Norway for 61 straight weeks. That's crazy. Can I throw in just an audible here? Of course. Just because it's, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one interested, but I, I do listen to a fair amount of you know, current popular music, and I always feel a little uncomfortable describing my uh, affection for satellite radio as a terrestrial radio guy, but I do listen 
to some satellite, and there's one of the channels on Sirius XM, which is Hits 1, and they play modern hits, right? Well, we noticed that they were playing this song here. This is a song What? That this is, is old. It's 19 years old. Yes. This is Natasha Bedingfield. Yes. It's a song called Unwritten. Now, Abby, you're dialed into some of this stuff, I think, a little more than we are. Do you know why this song is popular again? Uh, I don't, actually. It's from a TV show. There is a, um, or maybe it was a movie, Will Gluck's rom-com Anyone But You. Huh. Uh, Natasha is a British singer, and it has returned to the top 20 in the UK for the first time in 19 Get years. out. We play this on KZK. They might. They think it might actually go number one. Oh, which, my God. And it was, and you know, we've seen examples of this yeah. from Stranger Things and yep. from TikTok, where Monskin, that, that uh, Italian band, went real viral because, you know, the song popped up and it was like four or five years old, and it was on a TikTok, I think. Or was that the one on Stranger Things? I get... No, no, that was Stranger climbing Things up was, that hill. Right. And right. That, Kate Bush. Did the, that Kate Bush song did the same thing. So yeah. anyway, I thought, uh, that's my audible for Random Fact Musically, because I wanted up to sneak hill. that in there. 425 Sorry. on 97.1 FM Talk. Ilya Shapiro is going to explain all this stuff with commercial fishermen and federal bureaucracy that was before the Supremes on Capitol Hill yesterday. He's coming up next. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Yeah, he should be 100 volts in that harbor. It must be 15 now. Yeah, what are you doing? Taking kickbacks from the government? You want to control the fishery. You don't even know what's going on out there. Yeah. We understand that the observers are a financial hardship. Oh, really? Oh, it's critical to protect the fishery. That is actual audio from the Supreme Court yesterday when they argued this. Now, it's from the movie Coda from a few years ago. But, wow, that's pretty accurate in the, uh, the very topic that you discussed in that great movie that won the Oscar eventually was the issue that was before the court yesterday. Ilya Shapiro, our awesome constitutional expert, who's the director of constitutional studies at the Manhattan Institute, here to explain this afternoon. Ilya, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, Good to be with you. Yeah, I was in the courtroom for that very long time, almost four hours of argument yesterday. All right. So, you know, I don't I don't know a whole lot about this. I do remember that from from the movie. Here's a commercial fisherman that's sort of explaining some of what goes on and why they are troubled by that fisherman observer gets paid every day. So you ride out, say you ride out 100 miles and get out there and decide that it's too rough to fish and turn around and come back. And you're out there for a day going and a day coming, but you'd never fished, you still got to pay that observer the $700 a day. So it, it's just not sustainable. And I think the, the case that's pending right now will, um, I predict that, that the court will come down on the side of the fishermen. So you have federal rules, Ilya, that require these fishermen to pay for at-sea monitors. And, I, boy, $700 a day, that seems pretty steep. So what, what do we know about those at-sea monitors and what's really the issue at this the core of this case? Well, it's it's not whether this is good policy or makes economic sense or, or any of that. Um, the issue is that Congress did not legislate this. This does not come from the, the fisheries management law, Magnuson-Stevens, uh, uh, it's called. Uh, it's that uh, the NOAA, the, the Oceanic Atmospheric Agency, uh, part of Department of Commerce, that regulates fisheries, decided to create this out of whole cloth. There's a, a, a separate provision about uh, larger scale West Coast, uh, you know, Alaska, 
deep sea fisheries that are big enterprises. It works differently. Uh, the provisions about that. The East Coast small mom and pop family businesses are not mentioned at all. And, and NOAA just decided to, uh, to put in these regulations and charge fees, which, as you said, $700 a day can be about 20% of their, of their revenue, which is, uh, which is not nothing. Uh, and so the issue isn't even the correct way of interpreting the statute, but who decides. And there is this doctrine, Chevron deference, named after a, a case from 40 years ago, uh, that says uh, if, there, if the statute is ambiguous, uh, then courts should defer to agency interpretations of it uh, if they're reasonable. So as long as, you know, it doesn't have to be the best interpretation, but as long as the agency is being reasonable, whatever that means, then judges just sit on their hands. And that's what's been debated. It's what's allowed the administrative agencies, bureaucracies to grow uh, in, in a host of ways, whether it's the EPA, Department of Labor, Securities and Exchange Commission, lots of these regulators uh, that essentially – uh, pass the laws under which we we live because Congress uh, passes the buck to them. So, there are, are there two cases here that have landed before this court. Yeah, there there are two cases, uh, both involving fisheries on the East Coast, uh, and it's largely because they took the second case up because Justice Jackson, the the newest justice, is recused from the Loper Bright case, and so they added this relentless case to make sure, just in case, it doesn't come down. Uh, on a four to four tie. So I want you to maybe put into perspective one of the things with cases like this. I, I'm always a little unclear. I think it's confusing as far as what the um, you know the other implications are. For example, yesterday and you said you were there, right, Ilya? I was. Yeah. So Solicitor General Elizabeth uh, Prelogger, who is defending the president, tells the justices that overruling Chevron would be a convulsive shock to the legal system. Here's another guy that said this is a brazen attempt by the right to hobble modern government and destroy its capacity to address the modern world's problem at the scale, speed, and number they come in at. Uh, so if we have to hurt commercial fishermen in the process, so be it. Those were my words at the end there. But that's essentially what I'm saying. <laughs> Look, I don't, I don't think that's right. This is not a question of whether, like with Obamacare, whether the government has the power to require you to buy uh, health insurance. It's not even, you know, can we create a new program or anything like this? If Congress wants to legislate broadly, uh, you know, it can under under existing law. This is a question of whether the bureaucracy can create all this law by itself um, uh, when the, the, the statutes are, are completely silent, uh, as in this case. And and judges manufacture ambiguity to to give the agencies uh, all of this authority, uh, which Far from setting up this dynamic of, well, should it be unelected judges or unelected bureaucrats who make these decisions, uh, it, it diminishes the role of Congress because uh, uh, legislators there know that they can just avoid political accountability uh, by letting the executive branch regulators set these rules that their constituents don't like. And also, if they have some controversial policy they want to implement, rather than trying to legislate it, they can call up their buddy in you know, the Department of Commerce or wherever and say, hey, why don't you just pass this as a rule so they don't have to take the heat and they don't have to compromise with the other party and risk a, a primary challenger. So there's a lot of uh, you know, public choice dynamics, the way the sausage is made, the incentives for legislators versus regulators, uh, and, and that's where the real conflict is. So I don't think it's going to upend, you know, it doesn't declare unconstitutional half of the federal government or anything like this, uh, all it is is an interpretive canon 
that would tell judges, you have to do the hard work of interpreting these statutes rather than just saying, oh, agency, you can do whatever you want. A couple of things here that, that I noted, you tell me if, if this is true. First and foremost, this, this actually is a program that was initiated in uh, 2020 by the Trump administration. The other thing is, I think I heard that this ended last year. They didn't have the funding for it. The fishermen were reimbursed, but they're worried, obviously, that it can resurface. Are both those things true? I'm not sure about that, and, and there, there was no discussion of the facts uh, of the case. And, in fact, uh, one of the questions that the Fishermen's Council wanted to raise with the Supreme Court was how best to interpret the statute, but the court was only interested in this question of whether to uh, overturn or preserve the, def- the, the Chevron deference uh, doctrine. So that's really, you know, the case is going to continue uh, regardless of what the Supreme Court does. They're just going to say, presumably, they, they didn't take this to just affirm the lower courts. They're going to either throw out Chevron or severely curtail it, and it'll be sent back to the lower courts then for uh, further interpretation. All right. One more topic here before I let you go. Ilya Shapiro is here with us, constitutional law expert extraordinaire. On the the challenge that's going to go before the court that they have agreed to hear on the Colorado case, and I don't know if Maine is um, wrapped up into that keeping Trump off the ballot. What are your expectations on that here in a couple of weeks? Well, in Maine, just yesterday, the judge was a deadline for the Maine district judge to rule. And that judge basically uh, stayed the, uh, the, the secretary of state's order pending the Supreme Court decision. Uh, so it's all back wrapped into this case that, as you said, it's going to be argued in a couple of weeks, February 8th. Uh, I think there's no way that the Supreme Court uh, uh, allows Trump to be kicked off the ballot. I think they're, they're going to they're going to leave this to the voters effectively and they're going to try to rule as narrowly as possible, not on the question of whether Trump engaged in insurrection, but on some technical issue of who decides or it's a political question or uh, something, you know, the, the president isn't subject to that particular rule. It binds other officers. They're going to find some narrow way to have a, a unanimous or nearly so ruling that would allow Trump to stay on the ballot. So you think that they will kind of get to a point where this is not like a, a 6-3 type of thing or a 5-4, right? I, I think they're going to try their their, their darndest uh, because otherwise it, it just looks like Republicans versus Democrats, and, and that's the last thing they want. Absolutely. Ilya, great to have you on, as always. Appreciate you staying on top of these things. Fascinating case, the fishing case, so we'll see what happens. Have a great week. It's a whale of a tail. Have a good weekend. <laughs> oh, you got to get that in. We'll see ya. Hey, for anybody holding out hope that they're going to get rid of the personal property tax in Missouri, uh, they aren't. I know Bill likes to talk about that, and I, I don't even think it's a terrible idea, but it ain't going to happen. I'm just going to tell you that. Set expectations. Um, here's a waste of money. Let's highlight this. So you and I maybe have never talked about this, um, so we'll see if we align. We might not. The cost of building a new Metrolink line from South St. Louis, that's where you live, yes. if I'm not mistaken, to the city's north side is now pegged at one point one billion dollars we no oh the new estimate provided by the bi-state development agency is part of a report submitted wednesday to the regional east-west gateway council of governments however talby roach i always like that name that's bi-state ceo says that he has asked that changes be made to reduce the cost so it has a better chance of getting the federal government to pay 50 to 60 percent of it but listen to this okay i just gave you the figure 1.1 billion he says that the figure, in order to be more feasible and competitive, needs to be closer to eight hundred fifty to eight hundred million. That's a quarter of a million dollars yeah, we, difference. We don't have it. I mean, what what is he talking? First of all, even if you could reduce the cost by that much, 
maybe you should have done it to begin with instead of waiting until it came in at $1.1 billion. But listen to this. So this is the route that they're talking about that would run along Jefferson from Chippewa to the um, Geospatial Intelligence Agency facility that they're building you know, north of downtown And, and right that's uh, I get that. That's it would go west deal. along Natural Bridge to North Grand Boulevard. But w- when they talked about this, and this is covered in the, uh, in the post today, these costs are even so much higher than a year ago. So, yeah. by the way, that's not going down. You fast forward. Oh, I can yeah. do this story it's in going a year. Up. I just, you know, and Sue, you've been to Europe, right? Mm-hmm. And I love great American cities where you can take public transportation. Boston comes to mind. New York mm-hmm. City comes to mind. Chicago, Chicago comes to mind, right? St. Louis is not like one of those cities. No. And I've always said this, too. If you can wave a magic wand and we can get light rail, it doesn't cost anything, it'd be awesome. Or if we can get high-speed rail between here and Chicago and Kansas City. But the ROI on this stuff is just not there. It isn't. And the problem is, I mean, I am not anti-public transportation. That's great. But this is a ton of money that no one has. I don't think the federal government should be giving it out for this sort of thing. And here's the other thing. We haven't conquered making these, what we do have, safe. No. No, we haven't. And, you know, they point out in this story that there was a sales tax that was approved in 2017. That tax has generated about $90 million at this point. So that's a fair amount of money. Don't you think we could use some of that money? we got money. This is the thing about the city. We've got money everywhere. I don't think there's probably not a legal way to use that money for this because it might have been allocated in a specific way. But let's be honest. They're, They're... overflowing with money. They're trying to figure out what to do with it. I never got to this yesterday either. Oh, wait, I, I got to cover this because I think it was something that, that I didn't cover and it sort of ties in. You know, um, the old Reparations Commission has gotten a six-month extension because they can't figure out their nonsense. This was done by our local NPR government-funded station yesterday. The St. Louis Reparations Commission has been extended until September 9th. The group requested the extension from Tish. They said St. Louis Mayor Tishara Jones in a November letter to allow for more time to hold public meetings to discuss how black St. Louisans would like the city to repair the harms from the years of racial discrimination. I'd like the city to repair the harms of all the violent crime that's been going on and not prosecuted for the last few years. So maybe we should focus on that. Members have asked the city for help with costs to prepare and produce the final recommendation. So they want more tax money just to investigate how to hand out money to people well, that really it. don't deserve the money. I mean, if anyone in their right mind thinks that handing money out in the form of reparations or whatever they're going to do here is going to solve any of the racial strife or problems that we have in this city or in this country, you're out of your mind. It's well, not going to happen. You know, I love the Thomas Sowell quote that goes something like, reparations is the extraction of money from people who have never been slave owners and given to people who have never been slaves. Right, and it's even more prevalent in a state like California where they talk about reparations maybe more than anywhere else, and it wasn't even a slave state. Uh-huh. So it, it's a bunch of nonsense. It needs to be shut down at every turn. What I love about the uh, the NPR story, and this is not something that you know we're unfamiliar with when it comes to media bias, is there's no mention at all in this story about how there's never another side where some people, like, let's quote somebody who thinks that this is a complete waste of time. Here's a quote for you. Talk show host Mark Reardon, hey, I got quoted in the Post a couple weeks ago on this mass stuff. Talk show host Mark Reardon says that this is a bunch of hooey. Stop wasting money. It is a waste waste of money. money. We highlight this all the time, but the amount of our tax dollars, and I know some of it seemingly is a small amount. You get nickeled and dimed. This is why some people, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here because we don't have a bunch of, I'm guessing we don't have a bunch of progressives listening who just love to spend money and throw money at problems, even though money doesn't 
correct grow. these problems. No, it doesn't. And yeah. that's part of the problem. On the topic of media bias, we're going to explore this a little bit more. This is a story. I'll get into it with Drew Holden here in the uh, next hour. I mentioned Drew. I think it was even in the monologue yesterday. He did a great string on um, this story that kind of made its way across social media and the legacy media last weekend when there was sadly a tragic drowning of a woman and two children in the Rio Grande trying to cross the border. So the allegation that got repeated over and over and over again on the Twitter and the rest of social media, it started with CBS News. They rushed out this scoop, scoop that Texas officials had, and this is the key here, not only blocked the Border Patrol from rescuing drowning migrants, but physically blocked the CBP from rescuing drowning migrants. Wasn't true. CBS corrected the story, but it kicked off this mini news cycle ready-made to smear Republicans. And Drew had the goods and the receipts, and it goes on and on and on. And then you have KJP even yesterday trying to, well, you know, here's their excuse. Well, because the fact of the matter is, is unfortunately, they had died even before there was any notification. So the story is factually inaccurate from that standpoint. The way that they're trying to cover from the briefing room and other Democrats are trying to say, well, there were other migrants that were in the water. That right? doesn't have anything to do with it. It has nothing no. to do with it. And you have 850 migrants that were you know, killed trying to cross the border. 850 just in uh, 2022. We don't have the numbers for 2023. So it, unfortunately, it happens. There's risk involved yeah. here crossing the border. And this happens. But this the allegation, and we'll, we'll have the... Um, I think it's the lieutenant governor of Texas kind of weighing in on this because it's a bunch of nonsense. I'm disappointed that this has not gotten more attention in the news yeah. cycle, even by Fox News. I yep. think it deserves attention. I agree. It has not, but it's just one of those things that everyone's kind of glossing over. So we're going to give it a little attention in the next hour. Also, it's always fun to have John Ziegler on, the co-host of the podcast, The Death of Journalism. Talk about someone who is focused on media bias. We'll get into that. He has, um, you know, it's funny because John really... I, don't think it's a secret. He does not like Donald Trump. He was rooting for Ron DeSantis, but he's also been warning people for eight months now that this campaign was flailing and that it wasn't going to get off the ground. The thing that annoys me most maybe about Zig is he's right more often than not. So we'll get into that. This L.A. Times poll that I've discussed. Oh, sorry about that. The music a little too loud about uh, immigration with Democrats in California being opposed. And this topic of flag football for kids in California, there was an attempt to ban um, tackle football for kids under 12 years old. And believe it or not, Governor Newsom rejected that idea. But we'll get into it. Gronk is waiting in also. Uh, all of that and more in an audio cut of the day is coming up. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.